Bakersoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. The Thorn in the Nest Night was closing in dark and stormy after a day of clouds and incessant rain mingled with sleet and snow. The wild November wind swept madly through the streets, whistled, shrieked, and roared in the wide chimneys and through the forests, bending the trees with its furious blast, and causing a solitary horseman to bow his head almost to the saddle bow in the vain effort to shield his face from the fierceness of its wrath. Courage, my brave Romeo, this has been a hard day for you and me, but rest and shelter and food are not far off now, he said, patting the neck of his steed with gentle, caressing hand, as a temporary lull succeeded a more than ordinarily fierce onset. They had crossed the last prairie, threaded the mazes of the last forest, and were close upon the outskirts of the town. It had indeed been a hard day and the doctor was cold, wet, and hungry. Icicles had gathered on hair and beard, and the heavy overcoat he threw off on entering his office was stiff with frozen rain. Zeb had a bright fire blazing, and on his entrance hastily lighted a candle and set it on the table. Ah, this looks comfortable, said Kenneth, shaking off the icicles and drawing near the fire. Hurry, Zeb, and attend to Romeo, but first, has anyone called? Yes, sir. De Major left word. You please stop round. Dar, one o' de chillin' sick. Much the matter, Zeb? Don't know, doctor. Speck you can tell best about that when you get star. Yah, yah, said Z and Zeb vanished. I think Kenneth sighed a little inwardly and cast a somewhat regretful look upon the comforts he was leaving behind as he made ready again to face the storm donning a fur cap and a camelot cloak which he took down from a nail in the wall as he threw it off in the hall at major lamar's the parlor door opened and a sweet voice said come in doctor it was really almost too bad to ask you to come through this storm and i, th and I think my brother regrets having done so for little bertie does not seem to be seriously ill now though some hours ago he had quite a fever ah uh, i am glad to hear so good a report kenneth said taking the soft white hand held out to him and smiling down into the violet eyes but what sort of doctor should you think of me if i were afraid to face wind rain and sleet at the call of sickness come to the fire and warm your hands she said lightly ignoring his query they are much too cold for the handling of my pet boy you are right, he returned, holding them over the blaze. They stood there side by side for several minutes, chatting on indifferent topics, the weather, the state of the roads, cases of sickness in the town. He thought he had never seen her look so lovely, the beautiful, abundant hair gleaming like gold in the glancing fairlight, the full red lips, the large liquid eyes so intensely blue that now looked half shyly into his now drooped till the heavy silken fringes swept the fair cheek whereon the soft collar came and went with every breath 
Her dress was simple but extremely becoming, plain gray in color, made with a long, full skirt that fell in soft folds about her graceful figure and neatly fitting bodice, edged at neck and wrists with ruffles of delicate lace. Her only ornaments were a knot of pale blue ribbon in her hair and another at her throat. She was in one of her gentlest, most lovable moods, and he could scarce control the impulse to tell her so. But he must not, he dare not, and at that instant the door opened, and the Major came in, carrying the sick child, and followed by his wife. Ah, doctor, glad to see you, though, since this little chap has suddenly changed so much for the better. I'm more than half ashamed of having caught you out in such weather. No matter for that, Major, it is no new thing for me to face a storm, returned Kenneth, shaking hands with Mrs. Lamar, then turning to examine his little patient. Nell slipped away to the privacy of her own room for a moment. Her cheeks were burning, her heart throbbed wildly. She had read the Kenneth's impulse in his speaking countenance. "'He loves me. He does love me,' she murmured, pacing hurriedly to and fro. "'His eyes have said it over and over again. But why does he always force back the words that I can see are sometimes trembling on his very lips, as though it were a sin to speak them?' "'Oh, Kenneth, Kenneth, what, what is this separating wall between us?' she cried, leaning her burning brow against the window frame and looking out into the storm and night. A fierce gust of wind sent the sleet with a furious dash against the window pane, and she su shuddered with a sudden cold. The room was fireless, for in those days it was not thought necessary to heat any but the living rooms, and the air was damp and chill. But she could not go down again, not yet, and wrapping herself in a thick shawl, she again paced silently to and fro, schooling her heart into calmness. The summons to supper found her so far successful that a slightly heightened color was the only remaining trace of excitement. Dr. Clennanan had accepted an urgent invitation to remain, and there was one other guest, a lady friend of Mrs. Lamar from one of the neighboring settlements. She had been in Chillicothe a day or two, and now found herself storm-stayed. They were a cheerful party, enjoying the light and warmth and savory viands, all the more for the cold darkness and fierce warring of the elements without. Nell seemed to be the happiest, full of mirth and jest and brilliant repartee, but she avoided meeting Kenneth's eye, while he saw every look, every movement of hers, and when in passing an empty cup, to be refilled, their hands touched. It sent a sudden thrill through both. Kenneth was very weary and could not prevail upon himself to decline a seat for the evening beside the Major's warm, hospitable hearth, nor refuse his eyes the privilege of feasting upon Nell's beauty. His ears, that of drinking in each low, sweet tone of her voice, and the silvery sound of her rippling laughter. "'Where's Kenneth?' asked Dell, looking into Kenneth's office, where Zeb was luxurating in front of a blazing, roaring fire, seated in the doctor's armchair, hands in pocket, pipe in mouth, and heels on the mantelpiece. "'Gone to de-major, saw answered the boy, bringing his feet and the forelegs of the chair to the floor with a loud thump, and removing the pipe as he turned to look at his interlocutor. He has, eh? And you're having a good time in his absence? Yes, sir. Dr. Neber grudged that when he d was the work's done. No, I dare say not. And Dale drew back his head and shut the door. Going to the Majors, eh? He 
soliloquized as he stepped back into his own den. Well, I reckon I'm about as stormproof as he, so I'll follow, not being in the mood to appreciate solitude and feeling that my hard day's work merits the reward of a little rest and recreation. Littleton had come to a like resolve and was at that moment closeted in his own room with his valet, to whom he seemed to have been giving some directions. His last words as he wrapped himself in his cloak and went out were, Come towards midnight, for though these people accustom themselves to such confoundedly early hours, I'll manage to keep them up for once and follow my orders implicitly. We could not have a more favorable time, the darkness, the storm. He concluded with a mocking laughter. That is so, Miner, and I dinks von Vilvok before morning returned hands echoing the laugh arrived at the major's dell found the family and guests seated around the fire the ladies on one side the gentlemen on the other the circle widened to admit him now laughingly expressing great surprise at seeing him on such a night well i don't know he said why i should be supposed to less storm-proof than the doctor here and to tell the truth fair ladies i couldn't endure the thought of his basking in your smiles while i sat alone in my dingy office you forget said kenneth how often the case has been reversed godfrey if you follow me up in this fashion i shall never be even with you not at all necessary that you should, my good fellow, remarked Dale, toying with Nell's ball of yarn, for she, as well as the other ladies, was knitting, and he had drawn his chair close to hers with a familiarity Kenneth regarded with a jealous pang. Alas, that he could not have forestalled Dale in this. And did she care for Dale? he asked himself, watching them without appearing to do so. How could he bear it if she did? Yet better that by far than seeing her in the possession of Littleton. His absence would be at least one advantage reaped from the increasing fury of the storm. Littleton was not a rugged pioneer like themselves and was surely remain closely housed until he had spent its wrath. He was mistaken. Scarcely had the thought passed through his mind when there came a loud rap upon the outer door, quickly followed by the Englishman's entrance. "'What, you too, sir, out in this terrific storm?' exclaimed Dale, not too well pleased, as the circle again widened to admit the newcomer. "'Why, yes,' said Littleton, "'I'm not a milksop. My dear sir, and finding my own apartment extremely dull, I ventured out, trusting to a heavy cloak for protection from wind and rain, and to the kind hospitality of these friends for a welcome here.' "'You are heartily welcome, sir,' said the Major. "'But draw up closer to the fire, "'for I am sorry to see that the cloak "'has not proved a perfect protection from the wet.' "'Thanks. No, I found I had miscalculated "'to some extent the force of the wind,' "'laughed Littleton, with a downward glance "'at his nether limbs as he accepted the invitation. "'It was unworthy of Nell, "'but seized with a sudden impulse to vex Kenneth.' and excite his jealousy by way of revenge for his strange his unaccountable silence toward her she seemed for the next hour scarcely conscious of his presence while at the same time she lavished smiles sweet looks and pleasant words upon his two rivals it did pain him sorely though he gave no sign by word or look and the sharpest pain was the thought that she was less noble and true less worthy of the exalted place she had hitherto held in his esteem than he could have believed but the storm grew wilder the air was full of weird and eerie sounds an odd half fearful silence fell upon the little company 
They drew their chairs nearer together, and Littleton, breaking the silence, began telling legendary tales of storm and flood in his own and other lands, followed them up with stories of horror. The lady guest, and Mrs. Lamar, too, had some to match these last. And though the Major, the Captain, Kenneth and Dale listened with incredulous looks and smiles, it was with an interest that made them, as well as the others, unconscious of the lapse of time, till Dale, glancing casually at the tall old clock ticking in a corner, exclaimed that it was half-past eleven. Littleton had just finished one of his most horrible stories, which had wrought up the female portion of his audience, at least, into a state of extreme nervous excitement, and at that instant there came a blast that seemed to shake the house to its very foundations. The door flew open, and in stalked a tall Hessian in an officer's uniform, drawing his sword and vociferating loudly in his native tongue. The ladies shrieked. The Hessian advanced toward the Major, brandishing his weapon, gesticulating wildly and yelling with a fury that drowned the noise of the raging tempest. The gentleman seemed stunned with astonishment. Middleton was the first to recover himself. Be gone, he cried, hastily placing himself so as to shield Nell from the approach of the enraged foreigner. Be gone, start. With that, the Hessian turned about and beat a hasty retreat, grumbling as he went. Littleton stepped quickly to the door and secured it after him, then returned to Nell's side to whisper with triumphant air, I've driven him away, and you're safe, fair lady. The other two ladies, pale, trembling, half-fainting with terror, held him gratefully as their deliverer, but Nell had recovered from her fright in the very instant of uttering the shriek called forth by the sudden apparition. Something familiar in the face? the form, the stride with which he crossed the room. She looked Littleton keenly in the eye, then returned his whisper with another. Did it regret of courage to order your valet out of the house? She had drawn her bow at a venture and was surprised to see by his air of overwhelming confusion and chagrin that her arrow had sped straight to the mark. "'Your Hessian, as sure as I stand here, sir,' cried Captain Bernard, recovering himself and clapping the Major on the shoulder. "'Well, well, I'll, I never was astonished or taken aback in my life. Littleton, you showed yourself the most quick-witted and self-possessed of any of us. Allow me to congratulate you on the laurels you have won.' "'I, I,' stammered Littleton with a depreciating glance at Nell, whose lips were curling with scorn. We will spare your modesty, said the Major, grasping the Englishman's hand warmly, but let me tender you the thanks of the company. Littleton was strangely confused and embarrassed. The ease and perfect self-possession on which he so prided himself had only sudden and terribly forsaken him. He departed a quick, imploring glance at Nell, and half in pity, half in contempt, she returned an answering look that told him his secret was safe. The others saw this spy play with varied feelings of wonder, curiosity, and surprise, but no one understood it. Captain Bernard was the first to speak. Well, gentlemen, it is growing very late, and no prospect of abatement of the storm. I move that we adjourn soon. Thank you for listening to another episode of Acresoft Story Classic.